Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. I'm in an online discussion group uh, on religion in America, and uh, together we did a book study in this group on Adam Schiff's book, Midnight in Washington, telling the story of the Trump impeachments. He was the impeachment manager and uh, so involved in all of that. Now, my biggest takeaway from this discussion group uh, talking about this book was not at all what I expected. You know, uh, it, my takeaway from it was how many of our politicians didn't just give in to pressure, but they they utterly crumpled when things got tough, like aluminum foil they crumpled. And, how, and I walked away from this discussion and from that book thinking that the real problem wasn't the problems themselves. The real problem was how few people were of deep and strong enough character to stand up to it. Now, most of my discussion group was talking politics, as you might imagine. I'll bet you're thinking politics in your own head right now. (laughs) Uh, It's hard not to. But I kept wondering, what is the role of the church? What is the role of religion? What is the role of faith in this difficult moment in our country? Now, since I say this from a pulpit on the closing week of a sermon series on character, I think you can guess what my answer is. (laughs) And indeed, that is what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Uh, Lest you think this is a sermon on politics, it's not. I think the wisest thing I've ever heard about uh, politics, the wisest thing I've ever heard said, was that politicians blow with the wind. If you don't like what's happening in Washington, change the wind. (laughs) And this, so this sermon is not about politics. It's about you and me, and it's about the need for our country, for our culture to have more people of character, something that I think starts with each one of us and something that I believe is rooted most deeply in God. Now, I had the idea for this sermon series a long time before this discussion group. This one's been planned for a while. Uh, But it's called To Be List. Uh, And, uh, you know, so often uh, in uh, the first first six weeks of the year or so, we talk about the New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's not the first six weeks. Maybe it's the first four weeks. The first first one week we talk about New Year's resolutions. Either way... um, Sometimes it, 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 it makes more sense to think less about what we do and a more, more about who we want to be. And that's what this series is about. The first week we talked about humility, uh, the importance of being humble, and uh, importantly, about how being humble isn't about, think- it, it, it's definitely about not thinking too much of yourself, but it's also about not thinking too little of yourself. It, it's about claiming who God made you to be and thinking of yourself appropriately in the goodness that God made you, neither more nor less. The second week, we talked about the importance of putting in the effort, how God's love and grace and God's gift to us is a free gift that God offers to us without any conditions. It's who God is and, who, and God's love offers it to us like a parent to a child, only even better. But that it still requires us to work to receive that gift, to live into it fully and to spread it. The third week we talked about dependency and what a hard time we have being dependent on one another. But I know I was uh, rocked in my own sermon writing, (laughs) and I hope you were in the hearing too, when I realized that the biggest example of dependency is Jesus. God came into the world as a baby, utterly dependent on us. 
And if God can be dependent on us, then surely we can be dependent on one another from time to time or always. The fourth week, we talked about love and how uh, love energizes us, how love uh, pushes us to greater things, but it also pushes us out of ourself. Uh, being in uh, love for a person, for a family, uh, for uh, a cause, whatever it may be, is something that helps us to see beyond the walls of our own head, uh, of our own heart. And last week, we talked about the call within the call, how no matter what it is that we do in life, no matter how grand it may seem, no matter how simple, we are still called to be good people in it. But the heart of it all, and the idea that, that made me, uh, that, that kicked off this whole series, was the idea of resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. And I'll put that on the screen there so you can see while I'm talking about it. Uh, but... Resume virtues, and I, oh, and I should give credit to uh, the author uh, and columnist David Brooks uh, for giving me the idea for this one in his book, The Road to Character. Uh, resume virtues are those things that we do in life. They're the, the accomplishments that we have. You know, uh, it's uh, when you apply for a job on a resume, you put, well, I worked for this company, I worked for this company. Maybe you uh, spearheaded a project that went very well. Maybe your sales were at a high level. Uh, um, I'm just making stuff up here. But you know, those are our resume virtues, our accomplishments. But eulogy virtues are more who we are. When the time comes for a funeral, which does come for all of us. Oh yes, there's a list of accomplishments. They did this and they did that. But more of what's said in a eulogy at a funeral is about who the person was. They were loving, they were caring, uh, they were there for their family even in the hardest times. Those are the things that come out in a eulogy. Now, we're going all in on this idea of resume virtues and eulogy virtues today because I think it's deeply rooted not only in Scripture and in the Christian tradition, but in life and in wisdom and in how we're constructed to be. And I want to share with you, as Caleb read for us a few minutes ago, a Scripture that's part of our funeral service now, it's from Isaiah, and I don't suppose I read it at every single funeral, but I'll bet it's about 80% or something like that. It's a scripture that I often pull out at uh, funerals uh, because it's important. It's important what it says, and it's important for that moment of a funeral, not so much for the one who's passed, but for those who are still there. It's important because... We can't celebrate the life of somebody who's died without thinking about our own mortality too. I do not know how many funerals I have presided over, easily over 100, might be 200, I don't know. But not a single one passes where I don't consider that one day I will die too. And that can be a challenge at times. It's not easy to think about that fact, uh, about that fact of our own mortality. But the scripture from Isaiah helps us to do it. Uh, I'll read it for you again. A voice was saying, call out. And another said, what should I call out? All flesh is grass and its loyalty is like flowers of the field. Well, now that's a good thing, right? 
grass is beautiful and it's important. It prevents, uh, it's soft to walk on. It prevents erosion. Flowers are beautiful. They add joy to our lives. So it's a good thing to say all flesh is grass and all all its loyalty is like flowers of the field. But then Isaiah turns and he says, the grass dries up and the flower withers when the Lord's breath blows on it. And then as if you didn't get it already, he says, surely the people are grass. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but our God's word will exist forever. Now that's not so easy, is it? It's saying that though there is beauty to us, though there is usefulness to us, though there is importance to us, just like a flower in its beauty withers, so do we. So does the time come for us all when it is right and when it is good to wither and to pass on to what comes next. But... (laughs) As important as this scripture is, I don't think we can read it on its own without remembering what Jesus added to. And that's why the other scripture that I had uh, Caleb read is from John's gospel. Now, Jesus comes and he lives out the reality that the gospel writer John calls eternal life. Now, there's a lot of baggage with that phrase, eternal life. Uh, and it's, uh, it's the uh, phrase uh, in Greek that's used in the famous uh, John 3.16 uh, for... Um, um... <laughs> I stand up here and I can't remember John 3.16. Help me out. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not die but have eternal life, Right? You can tell people your pastor forgot John 3.16. Go for it. (laughs) No, but we hear that and we tend to think heaven when we die. And I think it's kind of a fluke of how that's worded, that we might not perish but have eternal life. But the phrase eternal life doesn't really mean heaven when we die. What does eternal mean? Does eternal start at a specific day and time? Can you say that eternity starts a week from Thursday? No, you can't. Eternity means not bounded by time. Eternity means past, present, and future. So an eternal life means a life in which birth and death are simply events, Uh, a, a life that's bigger than the timeline that we know here and now. Eternal life is a life that cares more about the journey than the destination. It's a a life that is lived connected with a bigger reality than what we see in time. Now, I know that's a big thought, uh, and it should be because God is so much bigger than us, but eternal life is life rooted in God. Eternal life is something that is in the past, the present, and the future. Now, with that in mind, here, John 10.10. Now, the first part of the verse is kind of referencing what Jesus was saying before. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. But here's the part I want you to hear. I came, Jesus says, so that they could have life. Indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. You see, Jesus didn't come just for the future. 
He came to redeem life now and the future and even in the past. You can't think of Isaiah speaking of the flowers of the field and the grass and how the people are grass and we will wither without also remembering that that's not all there is to it. That God planned the grass even before it started to sprout. That that grass in a very real sense existed in God. The flowers existed in God even before they bloomed and will continue to after. That the momentary beauty of a flower is rooted in something that's bigger. You see, I believe that character is really just another word for what John's gospel is calling life, eternal life. Character is what's left when the things of this world fall away. Uh, Isaiah says that everything withers away except for God, but character or, or eternal life is that part of us that's rooted not in this world and its momentary nature. Character is that part of us that's rooted in God that does not fall away. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, part of what he means by that is follow me if you want to live into the parts of life that are truly worth living. If you want your momentary beauty to be part of something bigger, to be part of something grander, to be part of something eternal, follow me and I will show you this is character, the things that do not fall away. This is who we should work to be. This is who we are made to be. The fruit of character is life. The fruit of character is a life of eternal nature. The fruit of character is life to the fullest. Now, don't think for a second that the work of our hands, our resume virtues are unimportant. For surely they are. A farmer's crop is needed to feed a family, right? It's just that each individual crop falls away. Each individual crop falls away in a way that the spirit that grew it lives on. <laughs> our actions in this world matters deeply. It's just that it matters more where those actions come from. You know, I've done a lot of funerals for people who grew up in the Great Depression. And part of me, secretly, or maybe not so secretly, really enjoys hearing the life stories of people who lived long ago. And uh, so people who grew up during the Great Depressions, you know, oftentimes they have stories of wet sheets hung over the windows uh, during the Dust Bowl because the wet sheet, the, the dirt the, from the Dust Bowl would stick to the sheet, right? So they could still have a little bit of airflow in the house but not be breathing dirt all the time. <laughs> This is the kind of stories that come out of the Depression, right? Uh, how it taught them the importance of being frugal that stuck with them for the rest of their lives. I can almost guarantee you, uh, maybe there's some among us who have a similar story, but people who grew up during the Great Depression almost always have a drawer with bits of string and rubber bands in it <laughs> because it's important to save every little thing, right? And it's a good lesson for all of us. Oftentimes, they're people of great character. But... 
I've been a pastor now for 17 or 18 years. I need to go back and do the math. It's something like that. And one of the first funerals I did was for a man who was in his 90s. Now think about this for a second. This is time travel we're dealing with here. So 17 years ago, I did a funeral for a man who was in his late 90s. This is as far back into history as any funeral that I've ever done. And this man was, he didn't grow up during the Depression. He was a parent during the Depression. He was a, an adult during the Depression. That's as far back as any funeral I've ever done. Uh, and he was a farmer deep in rural Kansas. And what his son remembered most about his childhood, you know, about his dad while he was growing up, was watching how his father would feed his family and then eat less himself because he had given some of their food away to other farmers who he knew were struggling more than they were. Let me say that again just to make sure it really lands. What his son remembered most from when he was a little boy watching his dad was that his dad would give his family food at least as much as he could, but then he would eat less himself so that he could give some of their food away to other families that he knew was struggling even more than them. His son didn't remember his dad's crop yield. Now, those crops have been gone for almost a century now, haven't they? You know, he didn't think it important to comment on the house that he grew up in. I'll bet you anything his dad built it with his own hands, right? And I'll bet you that house has fallen away too, ruins on the prairie at best. What he remembered was how his dad loved his neighbor. That is what lived on in his son in the families that he helped, and in their descendants. That character is something that lives on in me, having experienced the story. And it even lives on in you now, having heard it. That spirit of loving one's neighbor over oneself and being willing to sacrifice for the other, that lives on even though the crops and the house and whatever else have passed. All right, can I be dark for a moment? Maybe I'm already dark, I don't know. <laughs> the pandemic has been bad. And if you ask somebody who works in a hospital they'll tell you it still is. And we all need to remember that. That's why we're still masked up on Sunday morning. That's why we're still distanced, right? It's less about our own health now and more about keeping the levels down so that our hospitals and our hospital workers aren't getting overcrowded. But the pandemic might have been worse. What if every family had lost someone? What if instead of stories of everybody around us getting COVID now? What if instead we were hearing stories of grief rather than just unlucky one? I'm trying to say this very delicately because there are people who have lost loved ones to COVID and boy, my heart goes out to them. But it could have been more. What would it be like if every family had lost someone? 
What would it be like if we had no choice but to turn our growth groups into grief groups? Because that's might, that might be how this, this is, that's how this might have gone. If that had happened, what we would remember were the beacons of hope and peace who were convinced of God's goodness even through the strife. That's what we would be remembering. Remember back when the grocery stores had trouble keeping the basics in stock? What if it had been worse? What if we were still having a difficult time buying peanut butter? What if the economy collapsed and the supply chain faltered to the point we couldn't get the basic needs? What we would remember are the people like that man I did a funeral for who, gave up, who give up what they have to help their neighbor. What if immoral leaders in our world collapsed, had collapsed even more of our government and the world order? What would rise to the surface were and to a big extent are the people of character who stood for what's right and true even when it was difficult to do so. God made us people of character so that we can be beacons of light in a world that is sometimes dark. God made us people of character so that we can be bricklayers in God's great cathedral of the world. God made us people of character so that we can be beachheads of the inbreaking of God's eternal life into our lives, through us, into the world around us. God made us people of character so that we might live the life that is eternal and allow that light to shine into the world through us. So, as we wrap up this series, what is our final to-do on the road to be? It's a question that's simple, but very difficult to consider. And it's this. What do you want your eulogy to say? Now, I talked to a man once who was in his 80s, I think, and he told me that he was looking forward to when he died. And then he very quickly, the look on his face changed, and he said, now don't get me wrong, I don't want it to happen tomorrow. <laughs> it's just that he was not afraid of it when it came, right? <laughs> when that day comes for you, hopefully not tomorrow, what do you want your eulogy to say? Now, maybe you're someone who doesn't want a lot of words said about you when you die. I will guarantee you, your family does, and they need to say a few words about you. And, and, and if you don't have a family, you still have people who care about you, and they need to say a few words. So what do you want said? C consider it. Is it enough for them to say what you've done? Or would you rather people talk about your heart, about your care, about your spirit, and about your love? And then ask, what do you need to do to grow those traits in yourself more? 
chances are you're already that person. (laughs) But what do you need to do to strengthen it even more, to grow your character even more? For most of us, I would suspect that it starts with doing the things of God, the the spiritual practices like prayer, uh, like uh, studying scripture, like reading uh, uh, books, like uh, worship and song. I suspect that's where it starts for many of us. It may also mean changing your priorities, caring a little less about work and a little more about your family. It may mean changing your views so that you see the people who need that love and care more than the things you typically focus on. It may may mean you need to cast aside activities, things that you do that are not life-giving, to make more room for the things that are life-giving. It may mean, and maybe I'm pointing back to myself here, that you need to take self-care more seriously so that you can really be present when you're needed. Everything we see with our eyes is like the flowers and the grass of the field. There is beauty. There is usefulness. It is good what we see with our eyes but only for a season. Jesus says, follow me and I will give you the life that lasts, the life that outpaces it, the life that is eternal. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, I said, would you bow your heads? I didn't say, let's pray yet. (laughs) As we sit here, stand here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe, maybe you don't like thinking about your own death. Who does, really? Maybe when you think about what people will say, it troubles you because you don't like what you hear. Or at the very least, you know that it could be better. Well, Good news, you're not dead yet. (laughs) The opportunity is before you today to ask God to help you to grow. The opportunity is before each of us today and us as a community to ask God to help us to grow into a life beyond life, a life that is truly full and eternal. Oh God, We are laid bare before you this day. Considering these things cannot help but make us feel small, vulnerable, exposed before you. Thank you that you are a God of love and a God of grace who sees us as we are, but who also longs to help us grow. Help us to be people of character. Help us to be people who follow you. Help us to be people in whom dwells the eternal life of the one who gives us all. We pray it in the name of him. Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, 
visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.